0: The following program is a first person narrative using author's license to tell stories drawn from the Bible and the books of Ellen White. Welcome to Family Storytime with Carly Fraser. Join us as we step back in time to hear about Eve.
1: Lost. It was a new word. A strange concept. Everything changed so quickly. And we couldn't go back. Back to the way things were. Back to a life of intimate relationship with God to a perfect world. A world without pain, without death. But we couldn't. The decision had been made. The deed had been done. And all of a sudden, everything was different in the Garden of Eden. I remember the sunrises. There is something special about watching the beginning of each day being painted in brilliant colours across the horizon as a gift from God himself. Each morning varied and somehow even more spectacular than the last. Oh, and learning how to swim, making dams with the beavers and then later racing down the rapids, laughing and splashing each other. (laughs) Then drying off while strolling through the fields of wildflowers that cascaded down from the mountainside. Brilliant red ones and deep blue ones. Each flower unique and intricate in its design. Everywhere we looked, we saw God's love and creativity. In the way that the puppies ran through the legs of the giraffe, tumbling over one another. In the way the monkeys swung from tree to tree with perfect precision. I'm sure if I tried that, I'd come crashing down to earth rather quickly. And the stars... I remember lying down on the grass in the middle of the night and staring up into the sky while Jesus taught us about the planets and the incredible complexity of the universe. Most of all, I loved the trees. I've always been fascinated by them, their incredible majesty, with branches reaching so high it was as though they brushed the sky itself. And I loved to climb them. How much fun is it to climb a tree? Seriously, it's awesome. Scrambling up into their branches, we were so high, we could look right over the Garden of Eden itself and out into the expanse beyond. And so many varieties. Each tree had a particular leaf pattern and characteristics so different from others we'd learned about. Yet nothing compared with the tree of life. The fruit from this tree had the power to give eternal life. They looked like apples but with the colour of gold and silver. I don't even know the words to use to help you understand how beautiful the world was back then. And yet nothing compared with walking with Jesus. To have him right there with us. To hear him say that he created us in his image in the image of God, and that he loved us so much. We loved him, and there was nothing we would rather do than spend time with him, learning about everything that he had created for us. Every day there was something new to learn. Jesus said he gave us dominion. He said that we were to look after all the things he had created. And we did. We loved it. We had access to everything, and, well... Well, we almost had access to everything. There was one tree with fruit that we weren't supposed to eat. It was called the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. Long name, hey? This tree was in the garden as a test. The angels who came to visit us said that there was another angel called Lucifer who used to live in heaven. But apparently he had disagreed with God and started a fight. He ended up being sent down here to earth And now he was out to trick us into following his way of doing things and eating the fruit from this tree. The angel said that it was important for Adam and I to stay together because that way it would be safer for us and we'd be less likely to be tricked. Jesus said that if we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we would die. He had given us so many other trees that we didn't really see what the issue was. We had plenty of fruit to eat. It's not like we would need to eat from that particular tree. I remember the moment I first saw the serpent sitting in its branches. It was stunning! Perfectly situated to reflect the sunlight off its shimmering scales. It looked like burnished gold. And its wings, so graceful and elegant. There was no doubt that the serpent was one of the most beautiful of all creatures. And it was extremely wise. Looking back now, I realise this was a deadly combination. It all started when I wandered away from Adam. It wasn't intentional. It's just that I was picking fruit and had worked my way in the opposite direction from where he was gardening. Now... I knew I should have gone back, but at the time I thought that I would be strong enough and smart enough to not be tricked. That's when I saw the serpent. I had been admiring the fruit when it spoke to me from the branches of the tree. Has God said you are not allowed to eat from any tree in the garden? I replied that we were allowed to eat from all the trees except this one. I told him that Jesus had said if we ate from this one, we would die. But then the serpent said that we wouldn't die. Jesus knew that if we ate the fruit from this tree, we would become like God, knowing good and evil. He was trying to suggest that Jesus was hiding something from us. The snake was trying to get me to stop trusting God and to think that he didn't love me. I was standing there wondering what to do "'when the serpent gave me some of the fruit, "'and it looked so beautiful, shining there in the sunlight. "'Then I realised I'd touched it, and I hadn't died. "'So I took a bite. "'Ah, it tasted incredible. "'I felt so alive, like I could run forever. "'Quickly I picked more of the fruit and ran to find Adam. "'When I told him about the serpent and the fruit,' He explained that this must have been the angel we'd been warned about speaking through the serpent. But by then I didn't even care. I just wanted him to eat the fruit. I hadn't died yet, so I figured everything would be okay. Adam was so sad. I remember the look in his eyes as he stared at me. But he didn't want to live without me, so he took the fruit and ate it too all of a sudden everything changed we lost the covering of of light around us and had to find fig leaves to wear instead no longer did I feel as wise and as alive as I had a moment ago now I just felt ashamed and I dreaded what would happen next that evening we heard God arrive to spend time with us And ashamed of what we'd done, we ran to hide in the trees. But he knew where we were, as if we can hide from God. Soon the blame game started. When God asked if we'd eaten from the tree, Adam blamed me and I blamed the serpent. God explained that although it broke his heart, there were consequences for the bad choice we had made. The serpent no longer flew through the air with its beautiful wings. Instead, it would grovel in the dirt. No longer were our lives perfect and happy. Now we would experience pain, and even growing our food would become harder. We didn't die that day, but we did lose access to the tree of life, which meant that we weren't able to live forever. We also had to move to a new home outside the Garden of Eden. I remember feeling so ashamed at what we had done. But Jesus explained that this wasn't the end. God was going to provide a way to save us. Even though we had decided to disobey his instructions, God still loved us and he had a plan. Jesus explained that one day he would come back to earth as a human and he would take our punishment. So even though we would die, if we believed that he could save us, that wasn't going to be the end. One day Jesus would bring us back to life again so that we could then live forever with God. Even though we lost the Garden of Eden, even though our lives changed dramatically as a result of our mistake, we hadn't lost everything. We knew God had created us and he loved us. We were his special treasure, and I spent the rest of my life learning from and loving God. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever felt bad about something that you've done and wished you could make it disappear? I'm here to tell you that even when we make mistakes, God still loves us. He loves you because he created you. Every breath you take is a gift from God, and He loves you more than you will ever understand. When you wake up in the morning, He waits patiently, hoping that you'll speak to Him. And when you go to bed at night, He wants to hear about your day and everything that you did. If you take the time to pause and look around, you will see examples of God's love for you. In the beautiful sunrises and sunsets that he paints in the sky. In the love of a puppy dog as it plays and bounces around your feet. In the funny moments that make you laugh out loud so hard you can barely even breathe. God is laughing too. And he cries when you cry. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. He designed you to be you, to have skills that are uniquely yours. He wants you to enjoy life, to relax in the beauty of the world around you and to spend time talking with him. You are his treasure and he will love you forever. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much that you created each one of us be just like we are thank you that you love us so much and that even though we make mistakes you forgive us Lord when we ask and I just pray that you will help us to live the way that you want us to to use the skills and the abilities that you've given us to love those around us thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we can live with you forever we love you God amen
0: Thank you so much, Carly. That was a wonderful exploration of when sin entered the world, perverted our natures, and the incredible grace and love God manifested to us through Jesus, who is known as the friend of sinners. Christopher and Jesse, we look forward to your Bible discussion on today's topic.
2: What another great story, Carly. Man, two in a row about snakes as well. What a treat.
3: Snakes certainly have been a standout in these last few stories. But the story of Eve also made me think about something other than snakes. The story of Eve
2: makes me wonder about how we all determine our identity. Hmm, that is interesting. You know, people find their identity in many things, don't they? For some people, it's through their job, doing hard work and achieving success. And for others, it may be through their possessions, their fast cars, and their big houses. And lots of people find their identity through relationships as well. Being a good father, or a loyal friend, or even a caring wife.
3: Yeah, or maybe you could find your identity through the knowledge and wisdom that you acquire in life. Maybe through the enjoyment of life, or by doing the morally right thing. There are just so many different ways that people try to find their identity in life. But I've noticed there's just one problem. You see, all of these things can either change, disappear, or eventually just lose their meaning.
2: Yeah. So then how are we supposed to find our identity? Well, it's interesting
3: that when we look at Eve and Adam, both of them know who they are, why they are here, and what they're doing in life. The main reason for that is because they are in the direct presence of God. Through their relationship with Him, they discover their value and importance. But as Carly said in the story, Eve and Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they became sinful.
2: Now, sin can't exist in the presence of God, right? God's glory and holiness is just so powerful that anything sinful would be destroyed in His presence.
3: That's right. So God has to banish Eve and Adam from the Garden of Eden. But before he does, God reveals his plan to save humanity from their sin, to bring them back into his presence and restore the earth to its former glory. God encourages Eve and Adam with the first prophecy
2: of the Messiah. That's right. We looked at that prophecy in our first story, that the Messiah would defeat the serpent by crushing his skull. Exactly.
3: But God did something else after he told them that prophecy as well. You see, before God had approached Eve and Adam, in shame, they had tried to cover themselves with clothes made of fig leaves. But God had something better in
2: mind. God sacrificed a lamb to take the punishment of death that Eve and Adam deserved for sinning. He then gave them new clothes, robes of fleece to cover their shame the lamb would become a symbol for the messiah to come but something important was still lost in eden
3: now that adam and eve could no longer be in god's direct presence they had lost that valuable relationship and in so doing their identity not only that but they lost any other way they could potentially find their identity even if they weren't as constant they had lost their job Their home, all of their possessions, their knowledge and wisdom had been corrupted. Even their relationship with one another had been negatively affected
2: by sin. Humanity was lost. A bit like the lost son and the lost coin, hey? Separated from our Heavenly Father and stuck in a barren wasteland of sin.
3: So even though God had put the plan of salvation into place, humanity had still lost a key component of their identity... But God still wanted to dwell with his creation. So God establishes the sanctuary system where his glory dwells in
2: the midst of his people. God says to Moses in Exodus 25 verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them.
3: He also says in Exodus 20 verse 26, Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it, Notice again this idea that when we're sinful, it's as though we're exposed before God and we need coverings to clothe us.
2: Interestingly, that was the whole message behind the tabernacle. When someone in the Israelite camp had sinned, they were to bring a perfect lamb as an offering. At the altar, a priest would sacrifice the lamb and its blood would cover up the sins of the individual. The penalty of sin had been paid. Okay, but... Humanity can't just keep sacrificing lambs for all eternity. God's ultimate solution is still the Messiah, right? Yeah, that's right. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the triumphant king and the suffering servant. He is the bronze serpent lifted up. He is the perfect sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then Peter describes the salvation in 1 Peter chapter 1,
3: verses 18 and 19 this way. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood
2: of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, ready to hear something interesting? (laughs) Let's do it. Well, we're going to need to open the word and turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. We mentioned in our last story that the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus is a greater fulfilment of the Old Testament symbols, and we discovered that Jesus is a better sacrificial lamb than any other. Let's read that verse together. Hebrews 9.22
3: says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission
2: of sins. So here we discover that the shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. But let's turn to Hebrews 10 to find a twist to this rule. Let's read verse 1 and 4. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter
3: 10 says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect... Verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Hang on. I thought that the shedding of blood was necessary for the remission of sins. But this verse seems to suggest otherwise. This verse says that the blood of sheep couldn't take away sins. So then, why did God make them sacrifice
2: all of these lambs? Hmm. Well, do you remember what we explained in our last story about accepting Jesus' sacrifice? Yeah, we have to look back to the cross and accept it in faith. That's right. And for the people who lived before Jesus came to earth, they had to look forward to the sacrifice. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, by sacrificing the lambs, it demonstrated their faith in the Messiah and reminded them of the Lamb of God to come. So, faith is the engine and our connection to God. So then,
3: what does the author of Hebrews mean in chapter 10, verse 14? That passage says, For by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, being sanctified is the process of being made perfect. So why is the order written that we are perfected first and then sanctified?
2: Well... When we accept by faith the sacrifice of Jesus, he wraps around us not robes of fleece, but robes of righteousness. So now, when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees my sin and nakedness. He sees Jesus in all his perfection and holiness.
3: Wow, that's so incredible that God can look on us sinners and see us as perfect. And what's more incredible is that the cross not only saves us from sin, but restores our identity. When we look at the cross, we discover the immense value that God places on our lives. And when we begin to turn back to him, our relationship is gradually restored until we are united with him at the second coming. Of all the things in life, God's love for us is the only constant and the source of human identity.
2: Attaining salvation and discovering our identity cannot be done through our own efforts. Adam and Eve attempted to cover their sins with fig leaves, and it wasn't sufficient. Cain brought the fruits of the field that he had grown with his own hands as a sacrifice to the Lord, but that wasn't sufficient either. We can never work our way to salvation. Instead, just like Cain's brother Abel, we have to trust in the promise of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, But the story doesn't end there.
3: Because the earth is still ravaged by sin, humanity still cannot dwell in the presence of God, and their identity is not fully realized. So how
2: does God resolve this final dilemma? Well, remember, God plans to restore the earth to its original beauty, just as it was in the Garden of Eden. Only when the world is free from sin, can humanity dwell with God once again and their identity in relationship with God will be fully restored. So, until that day when we are reunited with our Heavenly Father,
3: we can keep the words of Jude in our minds. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen
0: you have been listening to family story time a production of 3ABN Australia radio here is Ron and Patty Vallant from Scripture Songs Volume 1 singing Jude 24
3: unto him that is able to keep you able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory unto him that is able to keep you able to keep
0: All
1: of oh,